Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. As always, thank you for being here and listening to my ramblings and these stories of remarkable individuals. May you be listening on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or even on YouTube, or however you listen to An Immigrant's Life. I appreciate you nonetheless. And while you're on your device, it wouldn't hurt if you could please subscribe or follow us. It's free, and it's the most powerful way to help and support our podcast. Of course... You can also support us by following us on all the social media. Our handle is at an immigrant's life, one word. Also, if you or someone you know would like to come on the podcast to tell their story, you can hit me up on all our social media accounts I've mentioned. And you can also email me at an immigrant's life at yahoo.com. That's the call for action. Now, let's talk about the episode. This week's guest is a resilient and remarkable woman. Despite being enveloped by darkness of war caused by the U.S. invasion of Iraq, she stayed true to herself and followed her North Star to her inevitable success in the field of science and in life. Let's get to the point. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a self-proclaimed science communicator that loves studying the stars and admiring the universe, though the stars in her eyes are far more beautiful than those in the sky. Everyone, please welcome Sarah Al-Shamali. Hello, everyone. Nice to meet all of you virtually. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Of course. Of course. I love that topic. Yeah, I mean, I, when I saw your your account, like, yo, she's cool, man. I'm going to talk. I love talking to smart people like you, you know? It makes me <laughs> feel like I'm smart, too. Oh, everyone is smart, of course, in their own ways, for sure. Yeah, but Sarah, it's so nice of you nice. to have me on. Does no, seriously. <laughs> no, seriously, it is. I mean, in, in their own ways, yeah, for sure. No, um, no, no, no. But... There's some people <laughs> we kind of well, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, But... No, thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, it means a lot. Thank you. Oh, for sure, for sure. Before we go on, please tell the Immigrant Nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything. Yeah, um, so I do have my own Instagram uh, page that talks about um, science and physics and astronomy and also my uh, journey as a student and uh, what I do in research and whatnot. Um, you can reach me on it at space.sal. On Instagram, and I also have the same uh, page on TikTok as well. Mm-hmm. And on LinkedIn, it's Sarah Al Shamali. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Why is yeah. it called Space That Sal? So, uh, space is because of space, and then Sal is because my first name is Sarah, so S, and then Al Shamali, so A L. So, okay. space.sal. Yeah. All right. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds, that so, sounds cool. By the way, mm-hmm. congratulations on graduating. Uh, thank you so much. It 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 was a long journey for sure, <laughs> a long time coming. <laughs> How long did it take you? 
Um, so I started my uh, university journey in 2013, hmm. and I finished it in 2022. That's a long time, yeah. It is long. It is long, yeah. I've had to, like, um, like I've, I've went through some obstacles and, and things along the way, especially when I first came to Canada. It was just a, hmm. a major cultural shock. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and like, it took me some time to also get used to the fact that it, I'm at university not high school anymore. And so like the entire teaching style was so different from what I'm used to. Hmm. Um, and like, I was so attached to my parents. I am still attached to my parents, but like when I first came here, um, I came here on my own. And so, um, like I did not have anyone from my like culture or that spoke the same language. Um, that I could connect with. And so even though, even things as simple as the weather, it was just so different because hmm. the weather back home is so hot and humid and that's how I like it too. But then when I came to Canada, it's not the same temperature. And so like, it's just a different climate. Right. So like, um, it took me some time to get used to that as well. Like it, it was so funny. My friends would, would see me like wearing <laughs> a rain jacket when it was like 15 degrees or like 60 degrees outside. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? They're like, leave me alone. This is my way of like coping with it. But um, yeah, then like, I think it took me some time to like also get used to the course load and mm. whatever. And like, it depends like each university. But I think for mine, it was like, if you don't follow the course outline that they have for the program, like if you take four or three courses instead of five courses, then you can get set back a lot because each course is offered like once a year mm. and so you would yeah so like you if you don't if you decide that you wouldn't take this course this year then you'd have to wait and a whole year for you to, so you can take it so you and some courses are like prerequisites for others so like they unlock other courses as well and mm. so all of that came into play and so it took me a very long time to finish my degree yeah hey you finished mm -hmm. Yeah, thank God. Honestly, like I, I'm so relieved I did. Like, <laughs> I, this yeah, but there's this comedian that says it like a guy that finishes first in mm -hmm. medical school and the yeah. last guy that finished in medical school. What mm -hmm. do you call those guys? Medical medical school. about people who finish medical school. Doctors. Doctors, yeah, exactly. So pretty much, like, it doesn't matter if you finish the first or the mm -hmm. last. You're going to be a yeah. doctor. You're still going to be yeah. outside there with a doctor name, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Exactly, yeah. And, like, I, that's what I um, tried doing, like, after. Like, I obviously, along the way, I picked up the right techniques and stuff to study for courses. And, and like, I also used re the resources that were available to me, like, in the university because I didn't use them before. Um, yeah. So they helped a lot. And then the fact that I started having friends and I started having a social life as, uh, as well. Um, it alleviated the fact that I was away from my parents and away from family and mm. the fact that they were like all the way on the opposite side of the globe. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Oh, mm -hmm. just for context, what did you finish? Um, so I, I finished my bachelor's uh, of science in physics and astronomy. And so I did a combined major um, the, usually the course itself, because it's not like one major, like, um, advisors tell you it does take five years and a half for students to finish the course, mm. the course load. Um, but yeah, uh, it took me longer than that, but I was just taking it slowly one step right. at a time. 
it probably would take me a hundred years to finish one one course of physics and astronomy. Forget about it. I will probably won't even finish it. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, yeah, like it was it was challenging at first, but you know what kept me going was the fact that like I, I you know, and I've been told by a lot of people um, that like I wouldn't be able to finish this degree or like this program, but I didn't listen. I was like, no, I know that? what I'm capable of. Lots of people, like uh, friends and even like some um, like professional people that I've met in the field as well, they were telling me that you that they think they sh- that, that I should just switch or drop out. Um, but I didn't listen. And so I just kept going and I was like, no, like I'll prove to, to them and to me, especially to me that I can, that I can do it. And like, I deserve to be here and stuff. So yeah, I did it. <laughs> hey, good job. Yeah. Man. Thank Tell you them so what's much. Up, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Before we go and talk about space and whatnot, mm-hmm. the smart stuff that I would love to talk to you about, let's just put some background on uh, on you so i read that you were born in iraq just a few years after the gulf war mm-hmm. how was like iraq then um so i remember like leaving iraq when i was uh eight or nine years old i mm. left it during um the u.s invasion like after the u.s invasion of iraq um you know back then like life was as i mean as far as my memory can go life was amazing like before the war and everything like we everywhere you go people were so friendly they were also welcoming and um my, your family like my entire family members were there you wouldn't have to worry about oh let's go on a zoom call or let's go on a skype call or whatever mm-hmm. um that fits this person's time zone so we can connect or communicate mm-hmm. and so everything was just so easy and um like it was just warm you know but then when the war happened, um, of course, like politically, it wasn't safe for, you know, for kids or to grow up around that environment. Um, I remember like seeing like, like, sorry for the detail, but like just blood everywhere, like just bodies in the streets and stuff. And so I saw that when I was a kid. Um, and so like now, <laughs> no matter what you say, like, oh, are you, do you get scared from this? I'll be like, no, <laughs> I don't, because I saw that when I was like a kid, when I was very, very young. Um, and so my parents decided that, you know, it was better for us to, um, for, it was better for us to raise the family in general, like, and to raise me as well outside of these situations. Mm-hmm. And so... And it wasn't just my parents that left. Like so many Iraqis afterwards just I migrated. Two of bodies in the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they just migrated everywhere to like all over the world. And um, like but was even it my easy own. Though? Was it easy to leave? No, it was not easy at all. So my dad moved to Dubai first, so he can find a job, and then so that we can like come after him, like with him. Um, but. You know, it's just hard because like when you're leaving a country, your country, and then you're going to a new one to start to start over, to start a whole new life. Like it's just hard for you to find a job and to have a a job that pays well so that, you know, you can support the family and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I mean, somehow my dad did it and then he found an, an okay job that pays okay. And then we went there with him. And then I remember, um, just walking like in the streets of like the UAE, Dubai specifically. And I was just like, so mesmerized by like the buildings and stuff, because, 
even though Iraq was like that back before then, like after the war, it was just like you couldn't recognize the city, at all, like Baghdad specifically or, or any other part of Iraq. It was just so sad. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up there in the UAE. Um, and, it, and it was with some difficulties as well, just because, you know, it's not your home country. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also welcoming. And the fact that it's still an Arabic country made a big difference. Like, I think if I made that jump from Iraq to like a, like a an English speaking country, um, it would have been way more difficult just because it's not the same at all. And like I was very, very young when I left Iraq. Um but the fact that I went there to an Arabic country, um, even though it's not Iraq, but like, you know, some of the, like you can still speak Arabic there and they would still understand what you're saying. It's just the fact that they, you, ha- you would have some similarities with the Arab cultures that were there mm. in the city was it just made a big difference. Yeah. Was there prejudice towards you guys? Um, yes. Well, I mean, there are like not prejudice, like you, you wouldn't expect someone to come up to you in the street and, and would say like, like, hey, you're not from this country. You shouldn't be here. Leave. Mm. Um, you don't you, you don't see that happening. However, when it comes to like certain um, opportunities, they do have a preference for like locals. So like for mm. the people that are born from that specific, like from the UAE mm-hmm. to have the opportunities first before like you know looking at other the other pool of like the nationalities that they have and so i think that might have been the most thing that was that would stand out to me Hmm. but when it comes to like school or even um friends or anything there wasn't there wasn't anything like that like they were always very welcoming and Hmm. and you wouldn't like i didn't see any sort of um reason that would allow me to think like hey these people are not friendly they don't they don't want me here in this country or whatever mm. um it was it, i felt that way when i first came to canada though let me just say but um, that's just a whole other story wow <laughs> yeah. what, what's your what's your guys status there um so in dubai we we're just expats like we we're just foreigners that were working there so over there in dubai if like you uh don't ha- don't have a work visa or i think um if you're not a student or whatever then you can't really stay in the country unless you're visiting, like you're a tourist. Mm. And so I think that add, like that factor also added some pressure on our backs just because, you know, like for whatever reason, like if they say, oh, we, you know, you ha- we have to let you go from this job, then you can't really stay in the country. And then we also can't go back to Iraq, like because it's not safe. And so where would you go? And so my family and I, um or yeah like we were saying like maybe it is worth it to to look into the fact that maybe we can you know have a country to belong to us um you know that we can call our our own that that we can actually belong to and also Mm. like other like other like issues like that that just came up like political political um stability in in iraq wasn't at all say look okay at all and um the fact that we just like just the status of our country made the opportunities for us wherever we go just not very readily available let me mm. just put it that way so just because they might see like your nationality is iraqi then they might not give you the same like opportunities that they would give everyone else mm. just because of the political instability how did you end up in canada um, so good question. I first came here when I was trying to apply for universities. So, um, 
I finished as I was going through like my last year of high school, I met with a representative um, that uh, like that has information about Canadian universities. And so I told her I am very interested in doing astronomy or something in physics. And so she was like, well, why don't you do both? Like there is an option that does that in Canadian universities. And I was like, okay, sure. Like that sounds like a really good opportunity. And then she told me like, you can check out their websites and stuff. And so she gave me a list of the Canadian universities to check out. And so um, I went on like online and I saw each and every one with my family and um, we decided that we would apply to some of them. And so we applied to the university that I'm, that I currently graduated from. And I also applied to like a few others in the same province and like outside provinces as well. Hmm. And yeah. And then that's how um, I ended up here. And also the fact that it was, that it is like, like I would say it is kind of safer than like the USA or like other parts of the world. Mm. Um, And I think it is a bit more accepting towards students, international students like that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, Mm -hmm. you know, where you coming from. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That was a very important factor for me as well, just because I wouldn't, I didn't want to live in a place where, I would just feel threatened like every day <laughs> just for the sake that I was Iraqi or the fact that I was um, Arab or Muslim or whatever. So mm-hmm. that w- that played a big role in, in me deciding where which country I would go to. You always liked astronomy? Yes. Um, I've always liked the skies and the stars. So like ever since I was a kid, I would just always go out at night and like just look up and be like, oh, like I wonder what these lights are. <laughs> I used to call them lights. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, I like that story. The that when you were a little girl, you were watching the stars. Yeah, you know, because like again, because of the war. So like, um, the like we didn't have a stable flow of electricity back in our homes. Um, mm. and so until like the gen- generators would start working and everything, like you would get maybe like ten, fifteen minutes of just no electricity at all. And so I would take that, just go out, look up, and then I would see like the skies and the stars, and it would they would look amazing Mm -hmm. and so I always had that fascination I guess and then my family nurtured that fascination and they would always encourage me to ask questions and stuff um they would always like watch uh movies about space and sci-fi movies and stuff like that and so I think it was Nate like nurtured as well Mm -hmm. um but I've always had it in me and then when I got into high school, I learned that, you know, there is a field called astronomy that you can pursue. And I was like, oh, okay, like, this is amazing. <laughs> I guess I know what I'm doing now. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I yeah. always, like, I'm, for the lack of a better word, envious to people, like, they knew the mo- since they were young what they wanted to do, you know. Like, I had a friend, he's mm-hmm. four years old. With, the first time he saw a drum set, he said, I'm going to be a drummer for the rest of my life. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. You know, um I always had that like I always I always knew somehow that I would be in sciences. Like I didn't know I would necessarily be into research or if I would like be an astronaut, but I always knew like when I was younger, I mean, that I would always do something related to science. But then when I grow up, I think the things that you're the things that children specifically um, or young teens or young adults are exposed to helps or like shape help shape their their interests uh, a lot and so I think because I was exposed to like sci-fi books and movies and and discussions with family members and stuff like that then I grew up 
you know, liking sciences even more than what I than what originally what I used to. Um, so I think it's very important for like families or whatever to, or not even families, like for, for the kids to have the exposure like that, you know? Um, but I always say to people, like, if you don't know what you're doing or like, if you don't know what you want to do or what your passion is in life, that's okay. You know, don't compare your clock to anyone else's clock. Everyone is going at their own pace and, you know, whatever that like, you'll find it eventually, just make sure that you try on lots of stuff because that's the only way that you'll know if you like something or if you don't like something. Um, but yeah, like it's okay. We're all just <laughs> fish in the sea. <laughs> or stars in the sky. Or stars in the sky, exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. So th let's go back a little bit when we, we moved to Canada and you faced all these challenges. What was the main challenge? Other than missing your family, that's obvious. What was the main challenge for you that kind of took it hard for you to move on? Um, I would say it's, you know, the, the, the course, the courses and like what they were teaching in university. I think that was my main, main issue because I thought I was studying correctly or like how I'm supposed to. Um, but I, but then when I get my grades or feedback from profs, it it's not really where, like what I was expecting. And so that would always make me think like, okay, how can I make myself better? Like what type of steps I need to do to get the results that I want. And that, that entire, like in order for me to answer that question, that took me almost two years, like after I joined university. Wow. Yeah. And back then, um, I wasn't aware of the resources that they had. So like you could go to academic advising or career advising or just tutors that can help you with specific things that you that you had like questions about um I didn't know these existed and so I felt like oh like am I the only one that was struggling with this sort of thing um is everyone else doing better than I am and so I faced huge imposter syndrome symptoms because of that and because of the fact that I like like I came all the way from Iraq and like I left my family and now my family is missing me. I'm missing them. It made me think that, Oh, I should succeed. Like I have to, like, I, there's no going back for me. Like I, I have to make this. And so I think maybe I was more pressured in that way. Um, because, you know, when you're a student and when you're like coming all this way internationally, to go into university, like it's not e an easy decision. You know, it's, it's not like something that just happened with an overnight. Like it took lots of decisions, lots of, you know, days deciding, talking about it. And so, yeah, like all these things, so like courses. And then I also um, heard people telling me like, you know, you you won't make it. That's when I heard that advice, like you will, you should just change your major. And so you can imagine like how frustrated or how, um, discouraged I was in the beginning. Um, but then I don't know, somehow I was like, no, like, I think I've always, always, even during high school, I've always been a believer in myself. Like I've, mm. I've never doubted myself at all. Not once. Um, so I was like, no, like you, you came all this way for a reason. Like you were given admittance and like you were accepted to this university for a reason, show them what you're made of, I, I guess. Um, and then that's when I started seeking out help and like reaching out to resources and 
making more friends and being just more involved within the community. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then when I when I did that, things started to to look up and then I like before you know it, I I I mean two years after fast forward, I got the hang of it. <laughs> so um, during my third and fourth year of my program, um, I'd say like it was like a drastic change in grades specifically. Um, like, yeah. And like profs know me now, like I talk to them and they talk to me and it's just a, a major switch. But I think every student goes through this, no matter if you're an international or you're a domestic student. Um, I think when you go into university, it's, it takes a while for for, for students to accept the fact that, you know, the environment has changed. The prof might not give you the same attention that he used to, that he may, that teachers may give students in high school. And so, you know, just because there's like a big class of like, I don't know, 150 students in like mm-hmm. one big auditorium. And so it's just hard for, for profs to like give the same attention to every student. And so you would have to have some time to do extra work yourself, like alone outside classroom hours. Yeah. During those dark nights mm-hmm. and dark days, did you ever call your mom and, or dad and say, like, pick me up? I can't do this no more. Oh, my gosh. I call them. I call them maybe every other night and I would just cry to them and I would tell them why am I like I would even like show my frustrations on them. Like I'd be like, why am I here? Like, why are you guys? Why are you not here with me? Um, like, what's going on? You know, but um. Like at the like afterwards, you know, they would always encourage me and they would always calm me down and they would always tell me like, you know, you're there for a reason. Like we like they also believed in me more than I believed in myself sometimes. And so they would always tell me like, we know what you're made up of. We know what your skills are. We know what that, you know, you're you're always capable. You've always been. And so I think words of encouragement like that specifically from parents goes a very, very long way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I also like my love for them. Like, I didn't want to also disappoint them. And like, I didn't want to tell them like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I want to go home. Like, I didn't want to do that to them at all. Cause I knew, I knew, I know, even though they would still love me and like support me in my decision, they, they would be a little bit disappointed, of course, because mm-hmm. you know, no parent would be happy necessarily like right away. Um, if like they're their child was like okay i'm just gonna drop out of university um so yeah like i wanted to prove it to people my parents myself my like my advisors my props everyone that was like okay like it was not me it's not just me like passing a course and getting a grade it meant more to me than that Mm -hmm. where were you staying during those times um so i stayed in dorms um for Mm. the first year um because i think it was a good idea uh for me to like just be exposed to like friends and stuff and because i was on my own mm-hmm. um and then after that during second year i stayed um with for the first half i stayed with uh some friends some girls like uh, that i that i met in dorms i we all stayed in the in a house nearby campus and then after that for the second half of the year i went and stayed by myself um and so like and then now uh my mom uh like my mom lives with me right now and so yeah because we i was telling her i was like you know at least one of you guys has to be here like (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) so um so she's like okay like i'll come i guess and then uh, so she's living with me now yeah so like okay if you want me here okay i'll come 
That's um, funny. When you graduated, yeah. were the family was there? Did they attend? So, no, unfortunately not. Mm. Because, um, so my mom was here, right? Because she was already here. But uh, I told my family members to, like I sent them invitations uh, for mm. the graduation. And they applied for the Canadian visa. But they all got rejected. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And so it was kind of tough because, like, you can see all your friends and, like, you know, all their families there with them, like all their family members. But then, you know, it was just my mom, right? And like, she also wanted my other family members to be there as well. But yeah. like, at the end of the day, I was like, okay, you guys can see the live stream on this link, like, just follow it. And like, you'll see me walking across the stage. How about that? Um, uh, dad, so yeah, that was one of the things. So dad is literally still waiting for his visa. Like He got rejected too? <laughs> yeah. What, like? That doesn't even make I sense. I I don't know. Yeah, I know. Like I I don't know. Yeah. Um. So like, and the the thing is, like, I made sure like I would give them invites and stuff like that, just so like mm. they can see like they have a legit reason to come. But like for some reason, I think maybe the fact that they're Iraqis. Yeah. Um. Maybe it, it literally plays a big role in this. Let's not fool around. <laughs> Yeah, it lets me a full around exactly yeah. like if they're coming just, from Britain, you know a, what I mean? A, no, 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 they would not get rejected like if they were from yeah another nationality. But you know. it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I was pretty bummed about it. Like I was telling my mom, I was like, imagine if like she wasn't here too. Like I would literally just be <laughs> walking across By the yourself? stage on my own. Like. It was so, it would be so bad. But, you know, I'm really glad that she was there. At least one family member was there to see me graduate. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. It's been a journey. Uh, yeah. It's been a journey. Yeah. I'm proud sure. of you, man. I mean, oh, thank you. Excuse my French, but the balls <laughs> for a young girl from a different culture, mm-hmm. go to a different culture, different country. No one's there to support her physically. And just push through. And then people staying, oh, by the way, you're not graduating. You're not going to graduate. It's too hard or this or that. And you just like, no, dude, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so, so much. It means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, honestly, I'm so glad I stayed with it. Like, it was like, I could have easily switched to like a different major that wouldn't take me as long. But it's the fact that I wanted to do physics and astronomy. It mm-hmm. was, it just took, took a while. But I also didn't want to do just physics or just astronomy. I mean, like nothing wrong with these fields, but it's just, it, I, I, that's not what I wanted to do. And so I was like, I don't want to just switch into something that I, I'm not really into 100% um, with like just to make my time shorter at the university. Like, no, like I'll stick through with this. Like, I know I can do it. Just, hmm. you know, let me, let me do my thing. And then I did. And then it was good. Yeah. I love that mm. your parents just let you do physics and astronomy because usually it's going to be a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I'm so glad they, they're so, they've been so supportive of me. To be honest, they're like, they're part of the reason why I wanted to go into this field is because they like nurtured that again, right? And mm. so it was like my parents, they had a big influence on me. Uh, my grandfather, uh, my uncle, my aunts. Um, like my grandmother, like all of them, like they were very, very supportive, and they were just like, you know, whatever makes you happy, whatever, like just go do it. I'm like, okay, I want to go into physics and astronomy, and they're like, okay, I <laughs> okay, I guess it is what it is. Yeah, I love that because you know the 
the stereotype is like, oh, she's Iraqi. They probably, you know, force her to, you know, do whatever she they want to, her to do and then eventually get married. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. No, like my family there, I think they don't that they don't think that way at all. Like they they in fact, they don't want me to be like a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer or whatever. They're like, we've seen a lot of these people throughout our lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was, it was refreshing for them. I think when I said like, I don't want to do that. I just want to be a scientist. And so, yeah, like even then, like they were like, you know, people come up and be like, Oh, it's like, so now like she, and she graduated where, when is she going to get married? They're like, um, let me talk to like, just let her live her life, man. Like, let her just <laughs> accomplish her goals and like, you know, get into grad school and whatnot. And then maybe like, okay, fine. But like, no, let's let her do her thing. Like yeah. she, she can decide for herself. Let know? her go camping. Let her go camping with <laughs> friends. Exactly. <laughs> Currently you're doing research in particle physics. I don't even know what that means, but yeah. how's that experience so far? Oh my gosh. It's been incredible to be honest. Um, so before I took this job, like this research job, I didn't know much about the field. I've, I've always been fascinated about it. Like, it's just uh, the fact that, you know, you have like a particle collider and you take a particle and then you collide it with another particle at very high, like at very high energies. And then whatever. Wait, wait, hey, listen, <laughs> I'm not a smart dude. <laughs> Give it a minute. Okay. Okay. How can you get a particle, which is, I guess, an atom or proton or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. How do you get it? Like how? Like how do you? How do you even separate <laughs> them? Like, um, so yeah. So like you know everything. Like you know photons is like light particles, right? And so, mm. um, so if you have so particles are made up of quarks. So quarks are what make up you know electrons, protons, um, gluons, muons, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so if you have the right combination of these quarks, and then so you can form an electron, or you can form a proton, or you can form any sort of other particle. And so that's how you would get that particle. So you would get that, for example, if you say like, oh, I'm interested in studying uh, proton-proton collisions. So you'd get a proton, you get another proton, and you collide them together, but at very, very like high energies. And so just massive things, like beautiful things come out from that collision in the collider, in the detector. And so, you know, through software and through the hardware, they, like you would get the data back and you would get, okay, like the energies of these things that came out um, is they're so-and-so and their masses are so-and-so. And what can that tell us about physics? Like, are we... Like, did we accomplish something or, or are these data points just garbage? Like, they're just not useful data points. Yeah. And so, like, you just do analysis with that kind of stuff um, like at CERN or um, at Fermilab or Triumph or whatever. So, these are all, like, names of, like, particle accelerator um, organizations, right? And so, yeah. So, like, apart from, like, this job before that, I didn't know much about that field. Um, it was always fascinating to me, but I always thought it was a bit complicated to get into because you'd have to have some sort of like really good knowledge about quantum physics or quantum mechanics and nuclear physics and particle physics and whatnot. And like the concept and theory that go, that go on be behind that, behind the scenes. Um, but once I took the job, um, 
And like, I read, I started reading about it and like, you know, my, my supervisor is very like understanding and helpful and supportive. And so she's always been there to answer my questions and stuff. I've learned tremendous things because of that. And so now I know, you know, certain aspects in particle physics that I necessarily haven't known before just because of this job. So it's been a major learning curve for sure. Um, and I, and I, but I can't say it's always been that way. Like when I first started, I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't know what I was doing at all for like the first month or like month and a half. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Um, am I even doing this right? Like when, you know, um, but I made sure to ask a lot of questions and I think that's how I, I learned. I learned it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So after this, you're planning to do uh, graduate school or? Yeah. So hopefully, yeah. So I'm, I'm planning on going to uh grad school doing my master's um either in particle physics doing dark matter or cosmology doing dark matter like because i'm just really really interested in dark matter stuff so um whatever whichever like university i apply to and whichever supervisor tells me that yeah like i've accepted you to be part of my team that's the one that i'm gonna go with Mm. but so far i've uh, i'm looking at uh uvic university of victoria University of British Columbia and McGill. And so oh, my yeah, neighborhood. We'll see. Oh, cool. Where where are you staying? Montreal. Oh nice. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I love Montreal. It's it's a nice city. It's beautiful. I've been there yeah. once. Why yeah. do you love working for uh, in STEM? Um, like what do I love to do? Yeah. And why do you love it? Because it's um, kinda hard. It is hard, yeah. Um, you know, I I always love I was always like, I love the fact to be fascinated by things. Like I, I've always liked to be curious about why things work the way they do and why do we have these laws of physics and like whatnot. And so I've always been like a supporter of STEM in that sense. And also because I've seen the advantages and benefits of, of the STEM field in our lives. Mm. Like you can't, no one can deny the fact that STEM has improved our lives tremendously, like a thousand times more, you know, whether it's technology or mathematics or engineering or science in general. Um, it's always been beneficial. Like at some point, if you are a human being and you've interacted with anything in your life, it's, it's possible because of STEM. And so I have always wanted to dig deeper into the core of that and see why, you know, things work the way they do for myself. But in terms of like, um, like what was your other part of the question? Like, why do you love doing it? Yeah, yeah. And what yeah. do you love about it? Yeah, and like, so, but yeah. And so because of that, like, I've always seen an admiration of some sort in this field. And I've always had a res- major respect for it. Like, I, I respect it more than any, I mean, personally, because I'm biased, I respect it more than any field, in my opinion, just because it's, like it's it's very crucial. Like if it wasn't for STEM, we wouldn't even be here. Oh, um, yeah. Even flat yeah. earthers, you know what I mean? Exactly. Hello, <laughs> flat earthers. <laughs> um, but with that being said, like there is still a lot of work to be done in this field. Like in in terms of you know, like equity wise and like women in STEM and, and what kind of stuff. Like there there needs to be lots of changes in that sense as well. Oh. Just like any other field, but. Um, yeah, I think there is change, but it's slow. But but there is change nonetheless. So that's a good sign. Yeah, of course. Do you feel it like personally that the equity and you know the prejudice towards you know you're from Iraq or you're a woman and all that stuff? 
Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like I've, like I said, like I've, I've experienced that when I, even when I came here. Um, and the fact that you know, people look at you, and because you don't have like, um, like, like you do look like you're from the Middle East. You know what I mean? Like, I mm. don't want to stereotype, but like, you just, it's just like they, they, they judge you based on how you look. And so the minute they make that judgment in their heads. And then, so then they tell you things like that are hurtful, you know, that are like, oh, like I've had so many people in, in university, like that, that was, this is not a joke. This is a true story that happened to me. When I first moved to the dorms, I was eating in the cafeteria and I had someone come up to me and I thought they were being really nice, you know, um, they're Canadian and he, it was a guy and he was like, oh, uh, you know, welcome. Is this your first time here? And I was like, yeah, it is. And, um, he was asking me, oh, where are you from? So I told him I'm from Iraq, but like, I came from UAE, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he asked me, he said two things during that conversation that really like, just, just made my eyes bulge because like, I didn't know what to answer him. Mm-hmm. He was like, um, he was like, oh, you know, your English, you, you speak English pretty well, uh, for someone who's from Iraq. <laughs> and i didn't know what to say i was like like what like, what 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 do you mean like what do you mean what he's like yeah like you know because like you, you like you do have a slight accent but like you like it's not very very uh noticeable and i just stared at him and i was like okay like and so like i don't know what to tell you what do you want me to there's say there's nothing to say there is nothing to say like and so things like that you know like they expect people from the Middle East, specifically from the Middle East, that come into Canada or the U.S. or there's North America or the U.K. or whatever, they think that, oh, we had such miserable lives back home and that we were living, like, very poorly and whatever. But I'm like, no, that's really not the case. The case is because it's politically not stable. Mm. And that's because of the wars that your countries do <laughs> on our countries. Like, like, what do you... Like, like it's, it's... like I don't understand. And so... Yeah, so like that was one of them. And then the other thing he said was, oh, um, I, I don't know how I was talking. And then I was checking like my the time on my phone. And he's like, oh, nice phone. I was like, oh, thank you. And he's like, where did you get it from? And I was like, oh, I got it from like back home. And he literally asked me this question. He's not joking. He's like, you have phones back home? <laughs> you have phones in the UAE? And I, and, I, and I thought he was joking. And I started laughing. He just stared at me. He's like, no, I'm serious. And I was like, well, <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> what? I didn't know what to say. Oh, my gosh. I was so uncomfortable. But, like, I also didn't want to be rude to him because, like, he like, like he was, like, welcoming me into the country and whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, like, I didn't want to be rude. Oh, he but definitely also, welcomed you with he racism. Did welcome, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was like, what? Like, I don't know what you want me to say to that. And then, um, yeah, and then I, I was just like, yeah, like, we do have phones. Like, we don't, and I made a joke. I was like, we don't really send, me, like, me, like messenger dubs to talk to each other. Like, I don't know what you want. What do you mean? And then he's like, okay, well, it was nice to meet you. Then I left. And then uh, a few, I think a few weeks after, I was taking a cab somewhere. And the cab driver was like, he told me, he was like, oh, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from Iraq. But I, like, I lived in Dubai. Um, and then he's like, oh, so <laughs> he said this. He was like, oh, women are not allowed to drive in Dubai, right? <laughs> and I was like, um, no, they are allowed to. What do you mean? And he's like, oh, well, you know, because if you came here, you must be, you must be feeling relief that you, like, came from such an oppressive country. Mm. 
he said that to my face and like I I didn't know what to say and well I, I kind of like took a minute to like think about my answer and then I was like well to be honest like it's an amazing country and you can literally do whatever you want and like women can do whatever they want over there like they mm-hmm. like I don't like just the fact that they may wear headscarves or their attire may look different from you don't necessarily you don't have to judge what what is possible what is not possible back there like it's not oppressive it's not whatever like and so yeah yeah because so. you know it's like every arab country or a middle east country they get bunched in one thing right like mm-hmm. if one country did this oh that's what they do exactly yeah and it's it's sad to see that to be honest like that's why like i'm it's one of the reasons why well no well yeah it is one of the reasons why i wanted to like prove my name like and to put my name out there specifically in the stem field is mm-hmm. because i want people to see like iraqi women or just middle eastern women in general um arab muslim women in general they can do they can do this like they can they have the right to be here and whatnot compared to some what some people think yeah I love that. I love that. Like mm, putting thank ex- you. That's one thing that I guess quote unquote Canadians would never understand that extra pressure that we put on ourselves because we are immigrants, at least the ones that cares. Exactly. That we represent not just our family, we represent a race. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. 100%. You know, like if someone meets me and they mm-hmm. found out that I'm Filipino, and I do something that in a negative way, I guess, they will think all Filipinos are like that. And he's going to exactly. tell all the people that he knows that, oh, that's what they do. They're discussing or they do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. You know, it is sad to see that happening because you see a lot of stereotypes surrounding people that are not, like people of color or just black people as well. Like it's 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 so sad to see that circulating around, like stereotypes that necessarily don't really exist. But because, you know, you immigrated from a country or you came from a country that is not predominantly white or that is not like white majority, you know, you have to face, you have to live with that kind of, and like, I don't know if that is ever going to change, to be honest. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be hopeful about this. Like, and I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to see if this is, will, if this will actually change within the years, but like from the looks of it, like it still happens up to this very day. Mm-hmm. Like racism exists in so many levels. And I think it's so integrated into our lives right now um, that you, that you're either on the receiving end of it, or you're either the one giving it. Mm. Like it's always there in like some sort of like even major or minor way, but it's always there. And there's no, honestly, like I haven't met anyone who is an immigrant who is from the Middle East that hasn't faced that way, like that, or that hasn't felt that way. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so it's kind of sad to, to see that happening, you know? Yeah. I like what you said about it's, I don't look at it as a negative, but I, I think it's more of a realist view that, it racism is always going to be there because that's just who we are. You know what I mean? Like we're always going to find a division. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, and, you know, no matter like, you know, the, the campaigns and the efforts, you know, to bring like world peace. And I don't think it's realistically, I really don't think it might happen just because there's like a lot of power play 
in the world right now. Like you have lots of countries that are in power and there are so many countries below these countries that are not in power. And so what, whenever there is a political like instability in the world, right, like right there, there will always be, there won't be peace. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. Let's leave this earth and let's talk about space. <laughs> sure. Please. My favorite. I, I read that you deem that space exploration is vital for the survival of humanity. Care to mm-hmm. elaborate that? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, let me start off by saying that, you know, problems on Earth are 100% our priority uh, to deal with. And focusing on space exploration doesn't necessarily mean that we will leave the solution apart from like solving problems on Earth. In fact, one of the reasons why we want to go to space and like be involved in space exploration is because we want to solve problems on Earth. And so if you look at major examples, one of them being the fact that, you know, your uh, cell phone camera, for example, it wouldn't have existed without space exploration. Um, Baby formula, it would not have existed without space exploration. Um, So you have lots of examples and why space exploration is very, very important. Now, why I think it is vital for the survival of human, of the human race is because we are living on a planet that does not have infinite resources. We all know this. Uh, We all know resources on the beautiful planet Earth, they are very finite. Hmm. And our population is growing, is not decreasing. Um, Sooner or later, you know, these resources will be used up. And so, and I'm talking about like billions of years from now, but but let's let's think about like very far away into the future, right? If it gets, if these finite resources do get used up, then what will become of the human race? Like we can't just stay under one planet, surviving in one planet. We have to be multiplanetary or we have to have some sort of transportation, like space travel available just so that we can carry on the legacy somewhere else. Um, the fact that the sun might, might well, it is a fact, yeah, that the sun will, would explode or would, would like take, would swallow Earth literally, um, you know, in the next millions or billions of years is also a, a fact just because it's going to near its end as a, as a main sequence star, right? Mm. And so when that happens, what will happen as well? And so you have to keep thinking of these of these um like possibilities and they're not really possibilities because they, they there's like a very big chance that they might happen and so you know some people will say well we can't think millions of years ahead and i i agree but the but the fact that we're talking about space exploration is we're not just talking about you know going from like canada to dubai like it's 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 something that is entirely different you'd need new resources You'd need new ways of, of, of doing it. You need new technology and new engineering involved and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many factors involved. And so because of that, because of all of these factors, um, millions of years doesn't really necessarily seem like a very long time for, for, for us to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'd say, like, given the fact that we have already been to the moon once and we, we're going to go again, which is a great thing. Um, and then... The plans are for for the for humans to use the moon as a base to go to Mars. You know that I see that happening within the next hundred years, mm. and so that is a good thing because you know 
like and and then like that's how everything else started like when cars were first invented only the rich and the and the capable and like the powerful could could ride a car but then eventually all of society started using it the same thing with planes the same thing with any other mode of transportation right and so i'm not saying that's a good thing like i think you know space exploration just like any other public transportation way should be available for the public um no matter how much money you have but i think even if only the rich can go now i, I mean as long as it's a possibility for us to actually use it within the next years or so i think would be very very great hmm. but not everyone will be able to fly right like into space because some of them they won't be like physically won't be able to no Yeah, well, the thing that's the thing like if well, apart from money issues, if you can do it like health-wise and like you're you're healthy and everything, um then yeah, you can definitely go into space. It's just you we just have to keep in mind that we're not actually astronauts. We're just astronaut like we're just people like civilians that want to go into space. And so there's a big difference and because the training that astronauts go through is actually way more than uh it's like heavier like more in depth than what you know normal civilians go through when they go into into orbit so mm yeah you're yeah. right mm-hmm. you want to be an astronaut someday or what well i mean if there is a chance for me to be an astronaut then yeah of course i would love it uh, but you know the thing is like one of the things that my friends and i were talking about earlier this year um i am short so like i am 5 i'm 4'11" That's very short. <laughs> short. And so like literally three years ago, I was classified scientifically that I cannot pass the minimum requirement to be an astronaut because of my height. Wait, is that like a human thing or is that a science thing? No, it's like a no, it's like a like a NASA thing. Like there are like like requirements for people to be astronauts, right? Yeah, so, I know, but like, it was that decision by humans or is that decision by science? You know what oh, I mean? I, honestly, I have no idea, but maybe I think I'm thinking it's humans like hmm. because, you know, I can't see why like a short person wouldn't want like couldn't be an astronaut for some reason. Hmm. I don't know. But anyway, so like three years ago I couldn't be an astronaut, but now I can because like I grew a little bit. <laughs> I'm 4.11 and I think the cutoff was like 4.10. Um so like I barely made it. <laughs> so Is that still on thing. like the 410 411 the height requirement? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it is for sure. Cuz I know yeah. I remember a few like this is decades ago there were a height requirement for soldiers for uh, flight attendants. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to be tall yeah. and not like I, I like that's why I ask like that's not science. That's human. That's not science. Yeah, that is definitely humans. I think it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um but uh, but also like I I also wear contacts or like glasses and so like I'd have to have like a uh, corrected vision if I wanted to be an astronaut as well plus the fact that I it's very highly competitive so mm. I I I met an astronaut who was giving a talk in like a cafe like a science cafe once and he said that he applied 13 to- 12 times and on the 13th time he got accepted and that's like that just tells you how competitive it is you know um but you know it would be cool to to go to space one hey, day for sure the first iraqi the first iraqi woman you know to go I mean? to space yeah exactly i mean it would be awesome so fingers crossed 
Finger crossed, man. I'm like, yeah. I knew her. Yeah, you know her. I did an interview with her. <laughs> you know? But yeah, no, I read the book by, what's his name? The Canadian astronaut there, he played some uh, songs. Chris Hatfield? <laughs> I'm terrible Chris with Hatfield. it. Chris Hatfield, yeah. <laughs> and Chris I was Hatfield. reading it, and he's like, oh, you have, if you want to be an astronaut, you cannot be sick for like, I don't know, hundreds of years. You cannot have a cold. I'm like, yo, that, is that wow. possible? Wow, really? I did not know that fully. That's like a lot of like health health requirements as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because like you need to be physically well 1000% before going into space because like you'll be dealing with pressure and, and, and like whatnot and all that kind of dangerous stuff. So mm-hmm. I just <laughs> have some silly questions to you because, you know, you're the smart girl. No, of course. No silly questions here. First thing, what is dark matter? Yeah. Okay. In simple terms, dark matter is um, something that we we really don't know what it is. Mm. So we know it exists because if you look at galaxies, they're held together by something. And if you measure the force of gravity um, and its, and its pull on these objects, you'd see that gravity alone cannot hold these objects together. Mm. Like something else should, something else has to exist. And so this thing that exists um, is stronger than gravity. But we don't really know what it is because it doesn't interact with light. That means it doesn't absorb, reflect, or emit light. Mm. And so we really can't observe it because there, like, light doesn't come through it at all. So we know it exists, we know it's there, and it makes up a very big percentage of the universe. Um, I think it makes about uh, 20-something percent. Like the atoms that you see, like everything else you see, the galaxies, planets, and whatever, these only make about either 5 or 7% of the universe. What's the other ones? The other ones are dark matter and dark energy. Aliens? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, alien forces, yeah, for sure. Mm. But um, yeah, so pretty cool okay. stuff. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. UFOs, the sightings. What's your opinion about that? Oh, um, I mean, honestly, I'm not a. I I wouldn't say I necessarily believe in, in UFOs, but I mean, they could be. I don't know. They could be some sort of like. I don't know, like an 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 unidentified object, such as like a. Something that looks like a plane or something that looks like birds or whatever. I don't know. If it for me, like if it's if there's no evidence for it, it doesn't exist. Hmm. Um and so it's very hard for me to believe to believe that, you know? Sure. Um yeah. This one, this question was posted to me by my kids. They think I'm the smartest person ever. Oh, amazing. Love that. Okay. Okay. Apparently clouds are heavy. Mm-hmm. How do you measure this thing? It's clouds. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I would think that you would take like the the density of the... Okay, so we know like clouds are made up of like water vapor and all that kind of stuff. And we also know that um, it they are like charged. Some of them are charged. So like they have like charge in them. And so we can measure the masses or uh, sorry, we can measure the densities of clouds like that. 
and then we can determine if they're heavy or if they're not. So just by like reading about or like researching about what makes up the cloud components and, and stuff like that. And the pressure in them. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to try to explain to them, but I'm like, yo, I'm not the smart. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's very, very interesting stuff for sure. Yeah, because we were driving one day and they saw clouds and we're like, yeah, dad, did you know that clouds are like waste our time? I'm like, bro, they're clouds. Well, how can you? Know? <laughs> I mean, you go, you go through them too with the airplane. So that's like, what I'm you saying, know, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna talk to this smart, intelligent girl. <laughs> she could probably explain it. I'm a oh. retard. I don't know nothing. <laughs> oh no, I'm sure you know lots that I don't know as well. Yeah, I know a little bit. Another one, this one, if you don't mind. Yeah. How do you know what kind of gas or minerals a planet has by just looking through the telescope? Oh, great. So I actually talked about that during like the tours that I gave at the observatory. Um, okay. So you do this using a type of equipment called a spectrograph. Hmm. So a spectrograph is going to be attached to the telescope. And so... When you open the dome, when you look at the object, you collect all the light inside of it and, and whatnot, and you pass it through onto the spectrograph. What the spectrograph does is that it uses a technique called spectroscopy. And this technique in astronomy is very heavily used because it's very useful. And so what it does is that it looks through the spectra or like the spectrum of the planet or the star or the galaxy. What that means is it will collect the how the light looks like in it. So you might see um, absorption lines, which are like the dark, empty spaces. But then you will also see like red lines. You'd also see yellow lines and blue lines and whatnot. And so what this tells you is literally the fingerprint of that object. And so no similar object, no two objects will have the same spectrum. Because think of it as like your fingerprints. You can't have the same fingerprint as someone else. Mm -hmm. And so what these spectra do is that they tell us what elements are present in, in that object. So for example, if you see, like, I don't know, like, for example, if you see uh, four, like four red lines, and then an empty line, like a, a blank space, and then another red line, then you would know that th these are a hydrogen alpha line. So you know that there exists hydrogen in this element, in this planet. Hmm. How did they and figure so, this out? Well, I, I think it, it would be because through like you would, like, so they would do this through having separate gases take studied in, in laboratories. Oh. And then they would pass from, they would, they would see their own spectra and then they would, they would see, okay, well, this element, for example, xenon is, um, or neon or whatever, has like a yellow color, a yellow mm. line to it. Um, this element has a green line to it and so on. Oh, and, so, and then they compare it. Exactly. And then oh. they would just match whatever's in there. And then they can also tell you, like uh, the spectrum can also tell you how much of an element is there. So like if you see lots of like hydrogen, like lots of hydrogen alpha lines in its atmosphere, then you know that it's mostly made up of hydrogen. Um, if you see like there is like a lot of nitrogen in its atmosphere, like a lot of lines of nitrogen, then you would say, okay, well, it's abundant in nitrogen as well. Who could, who could think of this? Like, 
Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Listen, That's why I love STEM. I have <laughs> spoken to like smart people. I've spoken to Elio. He works for the for NASA at the yeah. JPL. Yeah. I am grateful that people like you exist. Oh, thank you so much. That's so very sweet of you. Uh, no, it's a, a fact because I, I will never figure this shit out. <laughs> and yeah. I have, let's say right now I'm thinking of 100 people. None of uh-huh. them, except for uh-huh. Elliot and you, obviously. Yeah. No yeah. one can figure this thing out. <laughs> well, you know, that's the beauty of science, honestly. It's just always mind-blowing and it always, always leaves you more curious than before. Like you answer one question and then other three questions come up and then you answer those and then, you know, thousands more come up as well. So it's always, always beautiful. Listen, Sarah, I got many questions, but that doesn't mean I'll be able to answer it. (laughs) I don't have the brain like your brain, you know what I mean? I mean, honestly, um, my brain is still like learning new things every day, which is great. You know, like you never want to stop learning at all. Oh, definitely, definitely. Listen, Mm -hmm. it's a fun conversation. Let's close out with with this question, if you don't mind. Yeah. You've achieved so much and will achieve more incredible things. Having said that, do you think that little girl that used to watch the stars in the darkness would believe what her future self had accomplished? Aww. Well, no, not necessarily, to be honest. I mean, honestly, if you went to that little girl and you'd ask her, you know, can you imagine, like, you know, 15 years um 20 years you would be standing here like giving this podcast or like just graduating from university or whatever no I don't think she'll be I don't think she will tell you like oh yeah I do believe that this will happen you know but just because she didn't know if she was going to like survive the next bomb attack or whatever (laughs) you know (laughs) um but you know I, I'm glad that things turned out the way they did and I and I've learned a lot in the process and I think I think, you know, I, I always try to make that little girl proud of me, hmm. um, no matter what I do and no matter what decisions I make. And so I think she would be right now if she did see what I was doing and if she could see what I was doing and, and what things I've accomplished and, and whatnot. And I hope to make her even more proud in the future. I bet. I'm sure she is. Thank Again, you Sarah, so much. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. This is a fun conversation. Of course. Thank you for having me. And it's always been a pleasure to to talk and chat about everything. (laughs) It's awesome. Awesome. Have a good evening. You too. Hope you have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Again, Sarah, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Endoliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.